The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll, and it's Friday. So here we go with the Duff McKagan joke of the week. Chris Jericho, you know the difference between a piano, a tuna, and a jar of glue is? No, what? Okay, well, you can't uh, piano a tuna. But you can tune a piano. But what about the glue? Oh, what's that? The glue. You didn't ask me about the, the glue. Yeah, I did. But what about the glue? Oh, you're asking me about the glue, Chris. Okay, I got you. Uh, well, I need you to get stuck on that. Thank you. Woo! That one was a stinkeroonie. <laughs> <laughs> of all stinkeroonies. But as always, we appreciate all the bad jokes from Rock and Roll Hall of Famer Duff McKagan. The bigger the groan, the better. Uh, what a great dude for taking time out of his busy schedule playing with that little band called Guns N' Roses to call in some amazingly bad jokes. Uh, nothing funny about Duff's jokes and nothing funny about today's guests and topic. I've got the two new executive vice presidents of Impact Wrestling, Don Callis, my old friend, co-host of Killing the Town on the Jericho Network, and Scott Demore, these two industry pros and vets have been given the keys to the Impact Wrestling Kingdom and full reign to get the creative and business sides growing and prospering. And they're doing their first interview, the first exclusive interview right here on Talk is Jericho. We'll hear how this came about, how it happened, what my small role in the process was. And Don and Scott will even share some of their big picture plans for Impact, the roster, roadshows, everything in between. And despite the new gig, Don will continue to co-host Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus and he will remain the color commentator for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So that means Don will be behind the mic when I head to Tokyo uh, to take on Kenny Omega, Alpha versus Omega, January 4th at the Tokyo Dome. Chris Jericho versus Kenny Omega live on New Japan World, the streaming service. You can download that now. Subscribe now. Uh, a double main event along with Okada and Naito. Subscribe to the New Japan World uh, streaming service to see it on January 4th. And if you want to be a part of the Alpha Club Jericho, go to represent.com slash Alpha Club and pick up the new t-shirt. A portion of the proceeds from these t-shirts are going to help fight type 1 diabetes. 
Go to represent.com slash alpha club to be a part of alpha club Jericho. And let's beat Kenny Omega on January 4th. Lots of stuff going on this week. As always, I also got to thank you guys for checking out season two of, but I'm Chris Jericho, which premiered yesterday at, but I'm Chris Jericho.com. The second season, uh, uh, now, uh, the new series on CBC, but I'm Chris Jericho.com. I appreciate all the great feedback. Tell your friends to check it out so we can make more episodes. You can binge watch all six of them. Uh, the plot of this season is Chris finally gets signed as a regular on a TV show. It just so happens that it's a cheap ass uh, science fiction show called Star Crusaders. And uh, Chris, uh, even though he is not the lead, thinks he is, turns into a giant prima donna. And of course, everything falls apart. Hilarity ensues. So many good things featuring uh, Kevin McDonald who was on the show earlier this week. He's hilarious as McGloin, the producer who's going to save me from obscurity and sign and produce my show. So many good things going on, in, but I'm Chris Jericho season two. Check it out now, but I'm Chris Jericho.com. And also Judas rising 2018 tour has been announced. Fozzie through fire, uh, Santa Cruz, dark sky choir. We kick things off in the United States, New Orleans on February 28th. And we go all the way across America, heading to the West coast, doing the whiskey in LA. Lots of great shows. Go to fozzyrock.com for all the cities, dates, venues, and ticket information. Tickets went on sale today. And you know, we're doing the VIP meet and greet. So get in on that before they sell out. Nobody does the VIP pre-show like Fozzie. We give you a whole pre-show mini concert, take requests, meet and greet pictures with everyone, sign whatever you want. One of the best experiences in rock and roll. So get your tickets to the Fozzie VIP experience at FozzieRock.com. You can do that if you live in Europe, too, because we'll be there with Steel Panther starting January 28th in Paris. Uh, And how about we get the weekend started right now with the latest single, the newest single coming out in a few weeks from the Judas record. We just shot the video for this. Might be even better than Judas. Here's Fozzie and Painless. No, no, no. 
All right, Painless from the Judas uh, album. The video is coming soon, and that will be serviced to radio in the new year. I hope it's even bigger than Judas the song. Nine weeks in the top ten. What a great, great accomplishment. Thanks to all of you for checking us out and supporting this band. Hey, this is Chris Jericho inviting you to the first ever rock and wrestling rager at sea. Picture this. Rock and roll, wrestling, comedy, live podcasting, all on the open ocean from October 27th to the 31st, 2018 from Miami to Nassau. I'm bringing Hall of Fame wrestlers, some of the greatest rock and roll bands on the planet, and putting the first wrestling ring on a cruise ship ever. Don't be a stupid idiot. Make the list. Check us out at ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Talk is Jericho. All right, so the talk of the wrestling world, uh, after months of speculation, Impact Wrestling has announced the new executives, the uh, executive vice presidents of Impact, my old friend Scott Demore and uh, Don Callis. Uh, wow, this is a huge, huge announcement, you two, a uh, couple marks. <laughs> yeah, it's a, you know, the exciting opportunity, the only downside to it is the fact that I have to actually look at Don's ugly face on a regular basis. Now, this is pretty funny stuff, because uh, they tell me... How long you guys have known each other, uh, and have how long have you guys worked together? A young, uh, a young Scott Demore sent me photos in the mid '90s to get booked. When I looked at the photos, I immediately said to Tony, "We're never booking this guy." Uh, but he was uh, very persistent, and uh, eventually, uh, I think, came out to Winnipeg. And Scott and I met, and we always got along because we're both have sort of disagreeable personalities. <laughs> Hey, Don, how about the fact that uh, every time you had a good tour, I would call and try to get on it, and then you would counter by saying, no, we have this great northern tour coming in February. <laughs> well, you and Jericho have that in common. You're never too smart to do the northern tour. Yeah, exactly. I'm always, I'm always lumped in with that bunch, but all I ever did was set up the ring for uh, Bob Holiday in the summer. Uh, so it was the summer northern tour, which, let me tell you, wasn't, uh, I mean, it's not as bad as the freezing cold, but the mosquitoes will, will carry you away. So I got a little bit of street cred in that respect. <laughs> the trials and tribulations of Chris Jericho. <laughs> but this is a, something, though, that's very interesting to me, though. Like, when you're talking about Impact Wrestling, and it's been around since, I don't know, 2002, but it's been very much kind of the similar almost the WWE retreads of who's in charge, from from Vince Russo to the Dutch Mantels to the Jeff Jarrett's, Dixie Carter. It's never been anything very exciting to me, Eric Bischoff. But now here you have basically, in a lot of ways, and this is not uh, something that is demeaning, but it's a couple of unknown guys coming in here to take over, in a lot of ways, the entire uh, company. Uh, talk to us about that and how, how kind of what your thoughts are and how all this really came about, because it is a big surprise to a lot of people. I think um, for me, and it's been someone pointed out, Lance actually pointed out to me the other day, he goes, you realize 15 months ago you weren't in the wrestling business and had no desire, and now 15 months later, besides the pod in New Japan, you're doing this. Um, Scott and I probably talked once a month anyway, like in the last 15 months, just because I would call him to cut a promo on him about something I'd seen or, or whatever wasn't thinking of kind of working for impact or, or not. And, um, you know, as things kind of progressed this summer and obviously, uh, Leonard Asper is, uh, is a, is an icon. His family is a, is an iconic family in Winnipeg, very much kind of like the Kennedys of Winnipeg, as you know, Chris. And yeah, so there was that Winnipeg connection and I kind of went, you know, I kept kind of calling Scott going, geez, you know, I mean, we should try to help this guy if we can at some point. And, and uh, it just kind of materialized, I guess, this fall. 
Because Scott, you were you were working with TNA up until this point as it was, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I I had left. Uh, I basically left like when the, the Bischoff and regime and that came in. I I stuck around for one set of one set of tapings with them, and then was pretty confident that I wasn't the right fix, and kind of moved on, did other things with my life, and and then you know the came back. I think it was probably early February. You know, Anthem Sports and Entertainment had, had taken over Impact. You know, Leonard Asper and Ed Nordholm and that. I got asked to come in. It was funny because I got asked to come in for two days of consulting. Like, just fly in, sit in the meeting, give some no- give us some notes. So that turned into me staying on as a consultant throughout uh, throughout the uh, throughout the year and kind of seeing how Anthem is stepping in there. And I mean, really, this, this company that came in. I mean, these guys are, are broadcasters, and they're like, "Oh, this is great content for us." So they end up buying the company. And I think once they buy it, they realize, "Okay, like, what did we just buy, and how do we run it?" Mm-hmm. So, but see, seeing that they were like, you know, good dudes, they're Canadians, you know, so it's a little bit different of a field than everybody else. And they, you can see that they were honestly trying to wrap their heads around how to do things and, and how, to, how to make this place different and viable. So it was kind of a cool vibe, but there were still a lot of things that were still very, I'll use the term TNAS, um, which is frustrating. And my approach was kind of, hey, I'm a consultant. Here's what I think. Do it. Don't do it. You know, it's your company. Like, I'll, I'll give you my best advice. And and you guys do as you will. And then it's like Don said, as things progressed here in the fall and realized they kind of realized they needed to make some, some pretty massive changes in direction and structure. That's where, you know, me and Don, as he said, had talked regularly and as they really were in a jam, we, we chatted and kind of said, you know, well, we always talk about how, you know, we could do this and, and that. And I mean, we've, we've each had our, our little forays in the thing. Well, here's a chance to really step in here and, and run a company from, top to bottom because i think that's that's one of the big things of this is this this isn't coming in and, and booking you know a wrestling company or writing a tv show this is two business guys who who have successful business careers are coming in to run a company and then mm. actually have a wrestling background and knowledge as part of that which i think is pretty unique in the wrestling business yeah, it's interesting to me and uh, first of all i just have to make this point it's funny how over the last month or so that Winnipeg has become like the the cornerstone of the wrestling business. <laughs> you, you got you got Omega and Jericho from Winnipeg headlining the Tokyo Dome, and now you got Don Callis uh, and Scott Demore uh, running Impact Wrestling with financing from a Winnipeg family, the Aspers. So Winnipeg's taken over, baby. Look out, Vince. I, I, I always loved Winnipeg. It's Don was saying from getting me a nice place out at uh, Polo Park. <laughs> <laughs> now there's so much to discuss and so many nuts to crack here but but first of all have you guys ever worked together in this capacity before like on the indies or, or, or back in the day so i think that um a couple of things when i used to run thunder bay i used to jointly promote it with scott not because i needed the help help but because scott had a had a license for ontario and he had insurance so we used to do that, and Scott would come out, and he'd help me out with the running the locker room and the, the booking of the big show. And then uh, Scott used to bring me out for Border City Wrestling initially um, was to help with he and Terry Taylor writing the show, and then Terry and I were a tag team. So, you know, we'd sit around Scott's table and book the show and, and whatnot. So I think that, that and, and, you know, and being as wrestlers on, in territories, uh, we were in the Maritimes together and stuff like that. So... Um, we've been around the horn a little bit, but certainly never anything at this level because when I came into, Scott brought me into TNA in 2003 right after I'd graduated uh, from business school. 
Um, but that was as a talent, and Scott at that point was uh, in the office. So that's kind of the, the background, I guess. And what, and what was your capacity in the office at that point, Scott? Uh, that, I, was br- I was brought in to be, uh, to be like an agent, to be a map producer, and, uh, and then that kind of segued into, because we were so shorthanded, like back then, like Don's talking about in like 03, uh, I was the only agent or match producer, you know, it was, it was, it was Russo and Disco, uh, were the writing team. Jeff was Jeff. Jeff Jarrett was, you know, the, the head of the food chain at the time and, and doing everything. And then we would do those weekly pay-per-views and do seven or eight matches. And I was the agent for those seven or eight matches. So it was, I mean, it was a pretty guerrilla style thing and as we looked at it i mean we needed somebody that could talk and to be an authority figure and you know don was was just finishing school so it's like a perfect opportunity to get a guy in i mean and my thoughts back then is i'll oh, bring him in as a talent and you know if this thing goes in the right direction you can segue into don being you know part of the the creative of the of the company was my hope and never ended up getting that far down because don you know moved on and and, and got a great career opportunity outside of wrestling but that's that was kind of the, the landscape at that time. So I was, I was a producer, and, you know, but, just kind of back then, it was everybody had to wear 10 hats. Right. Kind of what I think we're going to have to do again. But that's, 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 I was just going to say, it's a very interesting thing because when I mentioned earlier that you kind of are unknowns for me, both you guys, it's the old, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's the old Vince McMahon statement. There's no job too big or too small. And the more you learn about the business from in front of the camera to behind, the more valuable you are. And both of you guys started out in the business and both, I'm not sure if you left the way that Don did, Scott, but you guys both went and got, you know, degrees and got education and had jobs outside of wrestling that were very business oriented. Yeah, I mean, for for me myself, actually, you know, I'm a. I always make the joke I'm a communications dropout, but mm-hmm. uh, but 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 I mean, I didn't actually graduate, but I, I was thrust right into to the business world. I kind of danced around and had minor roles, but I mean, we had some some issues with the health of my father, and somebody kind of needed to to step in, so I was kind of thrust into to taking over a you know a pretty decent sized company with with zero experience. So you know, I did what a wrestler does. I just Put on my game face and cut promos on people. And <laughs> you talking about you know, your dad's? To, you talking about your dad's company? Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, my my father my father was you know, was one of the original construction guys here in in Windsor and actually throughout Ontario for years. And uh, you know he was still doing a little bit of that, but as I came in, just kind of like I saw the lay of the land. And I mean, I'm not a construction guy. I've worked I'd worked in the fields a little bit. It's not my thing. I mean, I'm I can openly admit I'm not that guy. So I kind of just looked at it and took us in a different direction and made us, you know, a property development company. Um, and that's, that's what we do to this day here is we do a lot of, a lot of, we do some commercial, but a lot of residential uh, property development. But you, so. you got, you got a lot of connections in Windsor. We were, we were talking about the time when uh, our guitar player, Billy, he, he lost his passport at some show that we did, um, maybe in Hamilton or something like that. And uh, you, you guaranteed you could get him out of the country. What did, what did we do? What happened? <laughs> Oh, yeah, I just, I, I just think the best part of the thing is, you know, we realized he lost his passport at, you know, what, like 9 o'clock at night. Yeah. Rather than worry about it, we just like kind of like locked all of your guys' stuff up in the truck and then went out and had a, I think one or maybe two cocktails. I can't remember what it was. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, a glass of water or something to stay hydrated. And, and then I think, lo and behold, about 4 in the morning, it was like, all right, time for us to cross the border. You know, you guys got to, like, I think we drove him right to the airport. Yeah, we drove <laughs> right to Detroit. But how did you, how did you get him across? Yeah, you know, it's small town stuff. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's, 
<laughs> I remember we Smile told Billy. Smiling and winks, guys. <laughs> we told Billy just sit in the back and don't say a word and don't say anything and don't even look at the guys. Like, okay, I won't say a word. Knock. I'm gonna say nothing. I'm gonna say nothing. <laughs> we almost had to hide him in hide him in the trunk like going into a drive-in or something. Yeah, and part, I mean part of it. Part of it was, well, hey, how you doing? Good to see you again, officer. Do you know my friend Chris Jericho? I said, oh, look at this! I got a star in the car. Oh, it's wonderful. He had a wonderful. Oh, he's a musician now. This way, well, we've got a flight. We got to get going. You know, see, so pay no attention to the guy, like you know, yeah. cowering in the back. We'll see you all later. But it works. Jer- 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 Jericho's a good front for stuff. I uh, a couple of times I had people coming into Winnipeg that you know I don't go to the bars in Winnipeg, but I mean they'd want to go out. And so there's a couple of real hot clubs, the Palomino Club. Yeah, the Pal. Uh, they're, they're always long lineups. And, of course, like I, I'm top talent. I've never waited in a line in my life, but now <laughs> I'm, I'm not a star anymore. So what I would do is I would call down there, and I would go, I would go, uh, I need to talk to the manager. So they put the guy, and i go, hi, this is Bruce Pritchard from the World Wrestling Federation. I got Chris Jericho coming into town tonight. He doesn't like to wait in lines. We need free drinks set up at the bar and security for him and his crew. Talk to Don when he gets there. And then I'd show up with my friends, and I'd go, yeah, Jericho's just delayed at the airport. He's coming, and I would drink for free, and then they'd eventually forget that Chris couldn't make it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, man. It's the old Brian Adams trick where he would call uh, call the uh, top golf club in town, the top go- golf country club, and say, yes, Hulk Hogan wants to go golfing today, and he's going to be bringing some friends. Hulk Hogan's going to be golfing? Yeah, bring him down. And then it would just be like Brian Adams and Neidhart would show up and say, yeah, Hulk uh, <laughs> Hulk had to go to a signing, but we're here. <laughs> but, Don, you're talking about, Scott's mentioned his business acumen, and I know for you, for years, you, you had to kind of keep church and, and state separate, but you were a very uh, high-level official in the Manitoba government at one point. Yeah, so I, I ran an agency called Manitoba Trade and Investment, and we were very unique in the sense that we only worked with the private with private sector companies, and what we did was we helped uh, companies get their products into overseas markets, which meant that I was very lucky that I got a lot of experience in places like China and India and, uh, you know, all over the world, really, kind of uh, making those connections and also getting that experience. So I spent, uh, when I got into the wrestling business and when I retired in 01 and went back, I only went to TNA for, to you know, because Scott asked me and, and to kind of, you know, something to do for a few months that was very unlike having been in school for 12 months. But one, when I left TNA, I had no intention of ever doing anything in wrestling again. So, um, in fact, I think when Scott brought Christian into uh, TNA in like 06, 07, I can't remember what it was, but he and Christian were talking to me at the time about like, hey, would you, would you ever consider coming back? And it's like, what would it take to get you to move to Nashville? And I kind of pitched a number that I knew no one was going to pay me, but, but I had no interest in it. And so it is really weird, but also super exciting for me after 14 years uh, away to be back in the, way, in the way that I am. And in fact, when I started doing the podcast with you, uh, I just thought, well, eh, this is something I can do, make a few extra bucks. I get to chat with Lance and Chris. I didn't have any intention of it leading anywhere. Then the New Japan thing came, came up, and I had no intention of that leading anywhere. And now this has come up. So, you know, I think you just got to be open to stuff. And I think that for me, when I left the wrestling business, the risk pendulum swung the other way where I'm like, I don't want any more risk. I mean, because I lived through getting fired two weeks before Christmas from, from Vince, and I lived through ECW shutting down. I lived through you know, being hired as the color guy for Nitro and then Bischoff's deal falling through. I'm like, I can't deal with any more of this variability in my life. 
So I went the other way. And then I think over 14 years, I started feeling like I wanted a little more on the risk side. And so we're right back here in the wrestling business. And I said to you, Chris, I think this is in many respects, and probably I won't speak for Scott, but probably for Scott too. This is the job that he and I have been kind of born and bred to do since we got in the wrestling business. It's the only job in many respects that either one of us has never done. The only other thing I've never done has been a ref. I've done everything else. I've been a manager. I've been a writer. I've been a wrestler. I've been a commentator. I've been a promoter. Same with Scott. So I think it's, it's you know, uh, your life takes you a certain place, and I think the time is right for both of us, and, and now we've just got to deliver. Let me ask you just quickly one more thing, Don, because you, you were right. You were really detached from the wrestling business, and, and even to the point I think like, you and I now are much closer friends than we've ever been, and for years we've hardly ever talked because that's just yeah. how it goes. Did that night when, for my 25th anniversary at Madison Square Garden, uh, I brought in you and Lance and Lenny, did that kind of start igniting a little bit of fire? Because it's been since then, if I had to kind of go the trajectory of Don Callis getting back in the business, to me that was kind of one of the catalysts for it. I, I think... Yes and no. In in that way, what that reminded me is is how much I loved you and and Lance and Lenny. Mm-hmm. And I think I think we you and I start. I started talking just because like oh that was so cool. These guys are, you know, because you know how the wrestling business is. You can be super tight, but then once you're out of the business, you might never talk to each That's other. That's right. Then yeah. You see each other and you pick right up. But in terms of like making me have a desire for the business, no. It was just the podcast thing. I went well. This is kind of a cool thing because I kept thinking. You know, I don't want to be in the business, but I should be able to monetize this knowledge and 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 do it from my my house and just do a podcast. You know, so right. But but then I think when I got doing the podcast for you, that's when I really started thinking, huh? Like I think I have a perspective here that's unique, and maybe that has an applicability somewhere. I just didn't know what with what. Right, 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 and then that kind of started the thing. Now, Scott, for you, having worked in TNA for years and years and years, uh, and then leaving, and now obviously TNA's thing of the past is impact, was it something that for you was kind of like, oh, here I go again? Because it would seem to me if you were there in the early 2000s and then came back as a consultant that you've had your ups and downs with them. Yeah, I mean, I, like I, I, when, I, when I left TNA, and I mean, I first left in 08, and it was... It was because of, you know, health reasons of my father and that and everything else. It, was, it wasn't really any moss. I, I mean, I kind of showed up, did my thing, and enjoyed it and went. It was you know, almost like a, a good part-time job that had full-time pay. Um, and I left, and then I came back shortly in, like, 09, just helped them fill a gap when they had some, some holes in management just to, like, stop gap things for them. And then when I went back, I was like, okay, wow, like, leaving – and getting into my new life and then coming back, mm-hmm. I was like, I never want to be here again. Like, I stayed the minimum amount of time I had to stay, and I got out of there at the first chance. I said, like, I can't stay. Like, this is it. I did what I said. I'm gone. Right. And at that point, it was like, it was January of 10. Like I said, Bischoff just came in, and I'm not knocking Eric, but him and I just like I said, this is not the vibe for me. And at that point, I was like, wow, like, I've reached the point where I'm done in wrestling. And I'm just, I'm just going to go full tilt into my, my ideas and how I want to develop things, you know, with our company and, you know, non-wrestling lies here for DeMore. And, and I, I just, I threw myself into that. And I was like, they, they, I'd been approached by John Gaborik and Dixie Carter and everybody else over the years. Like, oh, come back. You know, if you, we'd love to have you here. And it was, I always felt very appreciative, appreciative of the fact that there was always an open door, but I was never taking it. Mm-hmm. Earlier this year, with Len and Ed coming on board and Anthem, I was like, oh, okay, and I mean, it was originally, like I said, it was a two-day thing. But I had fun for those two days, because I'm down in Nashville, you know, seeing people like Jeremy Borash and Abyss and, 
and these people that I have such fun fond memories of working with. It's like, oh, okay, like I can do this as long as it doesn't interfere with my real life. And it was just kind of like a little fun little gig, fly away and every two, three weeks, have a couple of days with friends, you know, kind of, and the great thing about a consultant, hey, here's what I think. You don't want to use it? No problem. Right. So kind of did that. And then, you know, as I got deeper into it and saw that these guys, you know, with, with Anthem really were trying to make the place different. That was important to me because I'd lived through the, the lean years in TNA and when I left, it's when the years where we had good money, everybody was doing well, but nobody was happy because we knew we were just putting out a product. It wasn't growing at that point. It was what it was. And I never wanted to go back to that. I saw with Anthem that here's those guys that really want to make this company different. They want to carve out their own path. They're not sure how to do it, but they have good intentions. So when you have people like Len Asper and Ed Norholm involved, you're like, okay, like, I mean, these guys have the means to make it work. You know, they own Fightnet, They own Game TV. They, they have the money. The of, they have yeah, the, they money. Have the money. Yeah, right. Yeah. And that was, in, that was important to me, was to know that there's people here now that are willing to listen and, and that, that want to make this thing right and make it different. And that's why I was like, okay, you know what? As me and Don talked, like, to hell with it. Let's go in and do this. You know, we always said, you know, everybody's like, oh, I could do it. I could do it. You know, most people never get that chance. Here were me and Don talking about, like, do we really want to, you know, uproot our lives and everything to take the shot? And finally, I said, you know what? We can do this. We know we can do this. We've always said we can do this. Now, you know, F it. Let's go do it. And that's, to me, that's a pretty special opportunity to, to come in here with a guy that I've known for over 20 years, like Don. Like he said, we worked in territories together as wrestlers. We wrote television on a lower level together. And to get a chance to come in here with a great company like Anthem, with the backing that they have, and with the, the media power in addition to just money that they have, and say, okay, let's go do wrestling the way we think wrestling should be done. That's a pretty rare opportunity. That's what was different than all the other times they, they said, hey, would you come back? Mm-hmm. I never wanted to go back to TNA wrestling. I want to be part of Impact Wrestling, because I think it really can blaze a different path here in 2018. Well, and I don't know, and I don't know, stories, Chris, I don't know about Scott, but like, I don't know that there's another guy in the business that I would have done this with. Um, it's like with Scott, the guy who, you know, I always respected his intellect. It was like, and when we got together in Toronto this fall and we're like holed up in a hotel room, it was like the banter and the creativity and, and the back and forth. It was so fast. It was like, Wow, this is this is fun and it's cool. I made the comment to Scott. I'm like, man, we should have a camera rolling. This is great stuff. Just <laughs> us going back and forth, uh, riffing, you know. And uh, so it's for for me, it's it's the right opportunity with the right ownership group. As Scott said, they're they're wonderful guys. It's a great company, um, but more importantly, I got the right partner to do it with. And I don't know that there's another guy that that I would have felt comfortable going at this with so we're probably going to want to kill each other fairly shortly but you know it's almost like a brother relationship it's like okay we feel like we can say anything to each other we can put the stuff out there uh we're, we we don't have thin skin with each other and i think we're 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 a good combination i mean i think scott has commented that you know don's more big picture creative i'm more functional you know sometimes i get a little out there he scales me back you know i mean so i think it's a it's a good combination now, let me ask you this. I mean, obviously, you guys got the gig. It's a huge deal. Uh, and it is, like I just said, a huge deal. How did you guys go about into getting this gig? Because, once again, 
you know, there's a lot of sharks out there that are probably trying to undercut. Like, you know, what have these guys ever done? Yeah, Check, but, give but me those, a chance. Those, those guys didn't have Chris Jericho making a personal call for them for the owner. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ, who, who else could do that? Well, uh, let's let's talk about that. So, were you guys in negotiations with with them for a while? I mean, how did you even bring it up to to Was it Len that you talked to or Ed? Oh, well, I mean, for me, I mean, I was talking to Scott, and it was like, well, you know, maybe this is something, and it maybe it's worth a meeting, you know. And so uh, Scott and I had the meeting. Um, we we jointly pitched them on a vision. Uh, I joked that I was driving in the mountains of the Okanagan to Calgary when Scott and I are on the phone going, okay, I need to get on a plane tomorrow morning to Toronto. So I literally got into Calgary at 2 in the morning, got on a plane at 5 a.m., flew to Toronto. Scott and I sat in the room, put together a PowerPoint with our ideas and our pitch, um, you know, and we did the pitch, and, and then it kind of went from there. And I, I, I remember saying to Scott, Jesus, you know, I, I, I hate to bother Jericho, uh, which, you know, that's not the truth. <laughs> but I'm like, you know, what would really be great is, like, what if Chris would make a call for us and kind of go, hey, look, I'm the guy that, you know, I'm Chris Jericho. I'm probably never going to work anywhere other than where I work, and so you're getting an unbiased opinion. And, and I remember saying to Chris, I didn't, I didn't give you a talking. What's it, say what you honestly think about Scott and I. I hope that that would be good. And, uh, and we arranged a call, and it was like, well, if uh, if this doesn't help us, I, uh, part of me thought you might bury us and, and get the job yourself, but uh, you didn't do that. So. <laughs> oh, by the way, the opportunity was there. Trust me. <laughs> <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, wait a minute, Chris. What about you doing this? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, well, he, he, you, know, you know what Chris would do, Don, is he would take the gig and then he would hire us for a lot less money to still do all yeah, the work. As his, as his co-highs. Outsource it, man. That's my new thing now. You know that. That's my thing, man. But to, to me, and then this is when, 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 when the uh, idea came up for me to call the, the powers that be there. My thought process was, and this is not a, a slight on anybody that, that's been uh, in that company, working with that company, running that company, but that's been around for so long, as Scott mentioned, from the early 2000s, through so many incarnations, through so many ups and downs. And now what I found with, with the last incarnation of... TNA, Global Force, whatever it was, is that it was a dead company. There, there was nothing really exciting about it. There was nothing sparking it. And to me, the only way to get it rolling would be to completely change directions, go with somebody completely new and different. Similar to when, I mean, when Billy Corgan was up for it, I would much rather have seen him got it than, than Dixie Carter because at least it was somebody new. And I just really felt that it was my place to call uh, the guys and say, listen, if you guys want to keep losing money, go for it. If you need this for some kind of a tax write-off, you got the right place. If you really want to do something and have a chance to roll with it and, and be uh, a place that people are excited about, you have to go in this direction. And these are the guys to do it with. And that was basically the gist of the conversation. And it worked, you know, because here you guys are. But I think that is really the only chance the company has to to grow is by doing something completely new and different. Um, and I'm sure you guys feel the same way. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, to me, the, the thing was, it's just such a unique opportunity. And I think one of the things that I'm obviously, you know, having you call as an independent guy who's saying like, hey, like you asked me a question, I'll give you an honest answer. Um, I think they appreciated that. I think that they also appreciated the fact that they've had so many people vying to, to, to work for them, guys that want, wanted to work for them. Right. I never called them and said I wanted to, to work the, the gig there. You know, they asked me to consult. I'd agreed to basically stay through the November tapings, 
after a little while. I was like, it's kind of fun. If I can, I'll stick it through the year to kind of see things through. That was coming up. And they were trying to figure out what they were going to do direction-wise. Me and Don are talking, and Don's being Don and saying, what the hell? What the hell is this? You know, Jesus, you know, why, why would you? So we kind of like, you know what? We set up a meeting. Right. We have the meeting, and we're two guys that went in there saying, and like Don said, we didn't get together and put together a fancy pitch. He flew into Toronto. We met. We spent an afternoon, you know, late afternoon, evening, sitting around brainstorming, put a very bare-bones pitch together, but we think was concise, and went in there with the idea of, we're here. Here's our thoughts. You don't like them, don't use them. You like them and don't want us, go do them yourself. Because the two of us have careers. Right. Like We're totally okay if we're not here. Whereas I think what they've seen is everybody, and I mean, no knock on people, but people in the wrestling business that are like, completely entrenched in that world, they need that, that job. They need that check. That pays their bills. Me and Don, if we walked out of Toronto... With nothing else, ah, we spent an you know, afternoon, evening together, had some laughs, like he said, had a real good rapport, and, and that would have been it. Got a chance to see him. Harry hadn't seen him in 10 years, you know, face-to-face. So that was it. We'd have been fine. So I think they appreciated the fact that it wasn't two guys that needed this job. It was two guys that were willing to take on this responsibility and this, this monumentous task and try to build something. And it really, it's the matter of, to me, more than anything else, it's the challenge going out there and making something happen, not just for us, not so that me and Don have paychecks, making something happen for the business. Well, and this is a matter of more than just a paycheck, because like you said, you guys had to kind of give up your other gigs. And, and I think even maybe moving and picking up and moving your, 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 your houses and where you live and all that other stuff. So, I mean, there's a lot at stake uh, to even take this. So it shows me that you guys are in this for the right reason and not doing what a lot of guys do. And I hate to say it, but there's always like, oh, yeah, we got a money mark here. You know, make as much money as you can. And then when it, when it goes tits up, then at least you made your money. Because you know there's that, that style of, uh, of uh, you know, old-time thinking as well. I feel, like, I feel like I love the wrestling business. I know Scott does too. And I feel like you know, it's, it's, I don't want to make it sound like it's not about business because, of course, it's about business, it's about being profitable. But I've had a lot of people in my career, veteran guys, who helped me a lot. And I think about Paul Heyman and, and what uh, all that I learned from Paul in ECW and how generous he was with teaching me. And, and guys like Terry Taylor, who, who spent time uh, with me and with Scott, it's like now we have an opportunity to help uh, other talent wrestlers, uh, you know, have the best opportunity as Paul gave to me and, and others to, to get over and to be big stars and to be not saying that it's on us to make the wrestlers, but it's on us to create the environment where people can be creative and people can succeed. And that's one of the great things. I think what, what really differentiated Scott and I, we both been talent but we also understand the business side. So we can both relate in a creative meeting with what the talent is looking at, but we can also interact in the boardroom as well. So I think that was a differentiator for us, and I really feel like it, it gets me. One of the things I love about being a color commentator is it allows me to, with New Japan or with ECW or wherever I've done it, it allows me to use my talents to get the boys over. And I think now we just have a much bigger stage to be able to help to get the boys over and give them a platform. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. So what is some of your game plans here, like you mentioned? You've got, you've got a, a company that's been in a state of, of, of influx for a long time, uh, had had a lot of steam at points and none at others, and now it's just kind of, to me, it's just kind of there. It's not It's not bad. It's not good. It's not uh, offensive. It's just a, it's a place where some guys can make some money, but there's a lot of defections of people leaving and that sort of thing. So what, what's kind of some of the game plans of what you do? I'm thinking a lot like Roadhouse here, and you guys are Patrick Swayze. you got to come in and clean this place up. I, I'm, I'm thinking you're, you're Sam Elliott, and we signed Chris Jericho. <laughs> we dropped the mic and go, oh, we're good for two years now. I'm more Jeff Healy. I could be the blind guy playing guitar in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> you're more the karate heel. Uh, more is the guy that's banging the chick in the, in the closet, and you got to fire him. <laughs> what? <laughs> I clocked out. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So what, what's, what's some of the thoughts that you guys have? And what do you do? When you're, okay, you guys are giving the keys to the kingdom, and now it's your chance to kind of take this place back to the promised land. I think yeah, I mean, I, I, think, I think one, ahead, of, the, one of the things is, sorry, Don, is to, you know, we've got to, we've got to assemble our, our team that, that we know are similar guys that want to work in the, in the right direction. And it, it's, 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 it's elevating a guy like Sanjay Dutt, who's such a, a passionate guy who's tied into tied into the wrestling scene and into the pop culture scene. It's bringing in a guy like Jimmy Jacobs, who is is such a, a, a smart, creative guy. I mean, I've known Jimmy since he was a teenager when he was wrestling for me with Border City, and getting a guy like that in with fresh eyes, who's never been a part of of any of the history here with this company. He created you know, the list. Yeah, he created the list, and yep. I mean, he's going to create a lot of more good things. It's keeping a, a guy and engaging a guy like Jeremy Borash, who's so creative with like his contributions to Broken Brilliance and so many other things that were the positives of the TNA and, and Impact history. And then it's creating an environment where there's collaboration between the talent and the company. Like so, like wrestling historically has been a we own the talent. Or I've heard from people's mouths, talent are disposable assets. And you get what you can, and when they're used up, you push them aside, and you get it. It's like it's like a car; right. it's, yeah. it's no longer good for it. Let's go buy a new one. Screw the old car. We want to approach an environment, build an environment where the way I see it, we have our brand and impact wrestling, but each one of our wrestlers has their sub brand, and we think that we can help each individual wrestler build their brand. We're partners in building brands. We're going to give a platform for their brand to build and grow, and as part of that, as a collective that's going to increase the stock in our brand is impact wrestling. And I mean, it's already gone out there. We've changed our, our thought process on intellectual property. We want the wrestlers, we want the talent to know if they're here and invested in creating a character, whether it's manners, whether it's name, whether it's costume, whatever it is, when the time comes as inevitably has to in this industry, they move on. They can take that creation with them and continue to build it wherever they go. It's no longer we own the intellectual property. You make sure you don't talk the same way, walk the same way, you know, wear the same clothes, use the same name. We form a partnership with our talent where we're working together to help each other out and build together. It's kind of what's going I, on with the with the Woken Matt Hardy thing right now. 
Yeah, and I, and I think that if you look at what we've talked about, it, what the wrestling business is totally when it, and at any other time the wrestling business has independent talent had this much power, this much uh, say over their own careers, where guys like the Young Bucks and others can call their own shot, can make their money, can do their thing. This old school thinking of we own the talents, you only work for us, you only operate in our creative sphere. Uh, sphere. This is old school, outdated thinking that is completely out of alignment with what's happening out there in the wrestling business. So if we want to be successful, what Scott's saying, we want to be partners uh, with guys, you know, the guys out there who are doing this and say, okay, listen, um, the, we have to recognize the world is changing and recognize that this is a competitive advantage for us and it's a differentiator for us in terms of signing talents as a future because we're not just talking about it with what Ed Nordham announced this week. We're walking the walk as well, and I think the talent sees that. Well, it's interesting to me, though, because, okay, so when you're talking about impact, and, and there's a lot of pros for impact, and we'll talk more about some of the international you know, uh, uh, things that they can do in the future, but you are kind of now, are you saying you're kind of going to move more to a Ring of Honor, Evolve, uh, I don't even know, all the independents where you're going to use guys that everybody else uses and not trying to have exclusive contracts with them? No, I mean, I, I think there's still going to be a situation where, you know, in this industry we need a contractual relationship um, where we know people are going to be with us for six months, a year, two years and such. But even our contracts are structured, are being structured in, in a sense moving forward where it's, you know, we want you to have a part of what we're doing and be part of this, what we're building. But when you're not with us, we want you working other places. And I mean, our thing is, you know, wrestlers are wrestlers. We need to go out there and work. And we're not a company that's going to run 250 shows a year. So if you want to wrestle on 250 shows a year, we want you to have that opportunity to work as much as you want. We give you a platform on our, on our television uh, platform and our digital platform, which is quite large to go out there and create your brand and then take it out there because there's no reason for wrestling companies to be fighting and saying, hey, these are my toys. You keep your toys in your, in your sandbox. I've got mine here. Don't touch them. Talent should be able to move around. I mean, and that's, that's what's needed. It's, I mean, there needs to be a freshness to talent moving different places. And we want to we have great relationships with different wrestling promotions. And if we have a guy who's under contract, that doesn't mean he can't appear for somebody else. We can sit there and work it out. If there's dates that they can go work with somebody and be part of something else, that benefits us as a company, too. If one of our key guys is going out there and being part of a big event in Mexico or in Japan or in Philadelphia or L.A. or anything, that benefits us, too. It doesn't just create a great positive talent uh, uh, situation for the talent as far as empowering them, but it helps us, too, because it helps them become a bigger deal when they're part of our platform. Well, I mean, obviously, that's the, the Vince is never going to change the way that he feels about you. You, know, you do own the talent, quote unquote, because that's how you build the stars that make the money. So, how do you guys build your stars at Impact? Because when you look back at Impact's history, back to TNA at the time, there was Samoa Joe and AJ Styles and Chris Daniels and you know Hogan and Christian and the RVD. Like everybody kind of went through there, and you try and build names, but it was the ones that were homegrown that really kind of made the difference. How do you guys do that, or do you want to do that, kind of create your own stars and impact now? I mean, I think that there's, there's got to be a combination. When things are done best, there's a combination of established stars working with, with guys that we're developing. Like AJ Styles was a day-oneer here 
And although he had had like a cup of coffee in WCW, um, he, the AJ Styles brand was built in TNA wrestling and impact wrestling. Yes. Just like Samoa Joe had a tremendous following. And when I, when I took over, you know, heading the creative team in 2005, the first two phone calls I made were CM Punk and Samoa Joe. I got one. I didn't get the other. Uh, and they both obviously proven to be huge stars. But Joe, when he came here, we took a talent that had a, had a good following, but uh, I mean, I respectfully, I'll say a niche following. And we put him out there where he was able to get out there in front of millions of people on TV and everything at the time and build his reputation and also refine himself as a worker. So I consider Samoa Joe close to a homegrown talent. And then you move on to the guys like Bobby Roode yes. and Eric Young. And these type of guys, these are guys that were plucked out of, you know, Border City Wrestling out of Ontario Independence and brought here and given a stage. And we worked with them hands-on in developing them. And we, we think it's great to, like, for me to turn on SmackDown or to turn on NXT and to see guys that, that we were a part of building from day one and see where they are today. That's, I think, as you said, homegrown talent is what's going to carry this company. But in addition to it, it's finding the right veterans. It's, it's Sting coming on board with us at the right time. It's Christian deciding, even though he's still factored in in WWE, he's going to walk away. He's going to come, you know, to us, and he's going to, he's going to bring a, uh, an aura to him and a credibility to him that we can then use that credibility and his knowledge and talents and notoriety to help build our homegrown guys. So I really think it's got to be a combination. It needs to be a mix of established talent, you know, that are used to help us develop that homegrown talent. Well, it's like Don said as well. Right now, it is the best time, maybe not the best, but the best, at least in my career, for independent guys as far as being able to call their own shots, um, which could benefit you if you want to bring them in you know, to use in the same way that ROH does or New Japan or whatever. But where is this talent um, that you're going to be looking for where are you going to be scouring, and, and how will you kind of convince people to come over to Impact to where you can make them homegrown talent? I think before, I think the, the key thing is, I think initially, we have to set the table, you know, and part of we've talked about it today. We have to have an environment where people want to come, where they feel like there's both stability and a high degree of creative freedom, uh, where there's a structure that supports them and what they're trying to do which allows them in certain cases to have a high degree of flexibility in what they do. Once you have that, some of that talent will come to you. But certainly, I mean, Scott and I have a long history as promoters, as bookers, um, you know, where I think we, we think we have an eye for talent. I think that we know what our vision is and what fits into that. I think you have guys like Sanjay and Jimmy and others who, who are very tied in uh, to what's going on in independent wrestling. So we'll certainly rely on some of that as well. And, and then I think once you have a talent that comes in that you can strap the rocket to and you can clearly demonstrate that you can take someone to the next level, then it gets easier to attract that talent. Are you kind of looking on a worldwide basis right now? Because like you said, like if you go to the U.K., there's so many guys, or in Japan, there's so many guys, um, you know, in, in, in the States, in Canada. Is, do you have some, some ideas and some names in mind? Yeah, I mean, I think that there's certainly, there's, I mean, we could sit here and, and make a, a wish list of, of guys, but I think as Don said, I mean, the initial thing is, is building building that infrastructure, that base, that platform for the guys that they, they know they can come to and they can see that we can be part of, you know, they can be part of and they can, they can have fun. Because you know, as you said, there's a time right now, more than any point in the history of wrestling that I've seen, there's people that isn't just, there's not just there's opportunities out there, but talent now, 
is much more into, it's not just for a lot of guys, like everybody wants to make money, but a lot of talent, it's about creative freedom and they want to have a certain style, you know, lifestyle as far as for the freedom and the freedom to take time off, not work here, do what they want in addition to the creative freedom. And as we build that, we think we will get talent and international is a very important aspect of that. Cause especially like for a company like us, I mean, obviously, you know, we have a U.S. television deal. We're a Canadian-owned company. That's going to be a huge part of who we are. But, I mean, we have a, a huge global imprint when it comes to, to getting our product out there. Like, you know, we're on Spike TV in the U.K. We're on Sony 6 in India. And it's important in this day and age, the world has gotten so much smaller. You can't just be a little territory that has, you know, a company of American guys. You're going to need to have representation from all over the world because that's, that's where the fan base is. That's where the viewers are. That's where the consumers are, is they're out there worldwide. And we've got to come up with a formula to, a, to have a product that appeals not just in the southern U.S., not just in the U.S. or North America, but that has aspects that appeal worldwide. And I think you've got to, I mean, good businesses listen to their customers. And if Scott and I, I mean, I think maybe others not so much in the past in the wrestling business have tried to overlay their vision of the business and, and what gets over perhaps trying to put a square peg in a round hole. It's not about what I like. It's not about that when I, I grew up watching Nick Bockwinkle and Vern Gagne. Uh, it's about what, what the, the audience, what our, our current and future customers want to see. And there's no denying, I mean, I feel like I came out of a time capsule sometimes. I mean, the wrestling business is different. When I was a wrestler, we did everything we could to separate ourselves from the fans, to look different. It's why we had long hair. It's why we had suntans. We kayfabed the people. It's a totally different world now with social media, and now you're looking for that interaction. So I think that, you know, whether it's what we came up on or not, I think Scott and I both understand we have to embrace that and we have to find ways to reach new customers through that. Well, and is that something that might, you might be able to help with, Don? You mentioned all your international experience and traveling around the world. Is, is there a lot of um, interest in wrestling, for example, in China or in, in, in Europe? I, I, I think the big, the big issue, I think there's a ton of interest in it in Europe. I think the big issue with places like China and India, and it's, it goes outside wrestling, is, you know, everyone looks at the numbers and says, oh, my God, 1.4 billion people and this much disposable income, and there's going to be a middle class of 600 million by 2020. But they, no one has figured out really how to monetize that. You look at people like UFC who are, who are running in China, and they're giving away pay-per-views for, for almost no money. Mm-hmm. And you look and you go, how is that sustainable? Well, um, when you have a billion and a half people, if, you know, if uh, 100,000 people, which is not a big number in China, buy your pay-per-view for however many dollars you're selling it at a greatly discounted rate, um, you have a lot of growth potential. So figuring out how to monetize it and also understanding that in places like China, um, you know, you have to be patient. And these are the, the kind of cultural things. I mean, we used, I used to tell people, if you're going to do any business in China, expect to go six or eight times before anything happens. It's not like the U.S. where it's down to dollars and cents. It's very much about, um, you know, building the relationship. Yeah. And to me, places like China are exciting because some of the most exciting places I ever was as a wrestler were, were places where they didn't get a lot of wrestling. And you saw this in Smoky Mountain, Chris. Because they think it's a shoot. They're not overexposed to it. And so there's so much potential to get people turned on to it, but you have to, you have to recognize. 
China is a place much more than North America where people will consume their content through digital platforms and through their phones. Television is almost considered secondary. So you have to understand what you're dealing with when you go into these markets, and then you, I think, have to exercise a lot of patience and due diligence as you move forward. You know, it's interesting that you say that because I've been to China twice with WWE, and I think it's been four times total, and it's never what you think it's going to be. I mean, the first time there, it was maybe a 20% full arena because I think the government bought all the tickets and didn't give them away. They were scared that people were going to riot. And then when we went there last year, it was about, I'd say, 4,000 and 8,000 seat venue, but they knew what was going on. There just wasn't a lot of them. It's a cultural issue in China, Chris, that people aren't used to paying money for tickets for events. They get them for free through the sponsors, through Mm. the local authorities, that sort of thing. So you can't think about it in the same context as running a show uh, in North America. The interesting thing to me about China, and I knew about those numbers that, that Vince had done there, is that after basketball, combat sports is the number two uh, most watched uh, or most popular uh, sporting genre in China. So they classify combat sports as uh, MMA, pro wrestling. And so there is the potential for it, but you have to figure out, it's not about getting on uh, the big TV channel in China, because in many respects, people consuming their content that way is almost viewed as old school thinking. It's about getting the right service provider, and it's about understanding that don't take your North American business culture when you go into China and say, well, geez, you know, we didn't sell many tickets. Well, it's not because they don't like your product. It's because they just do things very differently. So... You know, when, when you're talking about, I mean, you, you want to kind of put a fresh new coat of paint and, and, and kind of shake everything up. What do you do with the roster uh, of Impact Wrestling? Because to me, a lot of what you see, uh, it, when you see a certain person, you always think, oh, well, that's, the, you know, you see Undertaker, you think WWE. And if they wanted to change WWE and still had the Undertaker there, it would never be changing. Are you going to be looking at kind of revamping the entire roster? Are you going to purge it? Are you going to take it individually on a case-by-case basis? What is your thoughts on that? I mean, I, I think that it's uh, it's going to be a process here as we as we move forward. I think inevitably when you change, you know, uh, structure at the top, when you change management, right? Like in a, in a, in a, with a sports team, if you change the Always. coach and the GM, you're going to see player turnover. Um, I think it's important that we don't make snap decisions on, on thinking we have to change everything on day one. What we need to do is we need to evaluate what we have and, and, and how we and how they're they're being used and what value they bring to the table and see if either a there's a better use for them uh, and a better way to to take advantage of their skill set or if it's time inevitably there's going to be certain talents we're going to look at it and say hey you know maybe it's time that uh, they move on in one direction we move on in the other because. If we are going to get more global, and if we are going to change the the uh, the product and 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 globalize it and, and change the style a little bit, it's going to involve a turnover a turnover in talent. Just like if you're if you're a if you're a team that goes out there and you're a run and gun offense, and all of a sudden you know and you use the football analogy, and you're going to go to more of a a standard Americanized, Americanized offense where you're going to have we're going to do a two back uh, offense where you're going to change personnel and that's mm-hmm. part of what we're going to have to do we're going to we're going to give people that are with us an opportunity to the show that they can be part of what's moving forward but inevitably some of them are going to stay with us and thrive and others are going to to move on to to someplace else. 
You know, because it's still a, a money-based business. Obviously, it's about making a living. So if you've got WWE that's tied up their guys to a contract, and even Ring of Honor has done that as well, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm still trying to wrap my head around the fact with, with Impact. I mean, are you going to try and, and get like four, six, eight talent that's just Impact guys and focus on them? Or is this going to be constantly just kind of guys coming in on a night-by-night basis? I mean, what's I, your... I think that, um, you know, when Scott and I have talked about this, I mean, one of my, my two big booking influences were early 90s All Japan and ECW, which is kind of opposite ends of the spectrum. But right. The thing that I loved about All Japan was you had that core group of six to eight guys, really six guys, and, and you kept those guys strong. You, you didn't just randomly have guys losing. Wins and losses meant a lot. Uh, you protected those guys. I think you have to have a core team you know, as well as new talent coming in and out. So deciding, you know, who, who are our, our all Japan top six guys or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and how do we cycle in new talent is something that we're going to have to figure out. I don't think you can run a promote a national promotion, an international promotion and, and just have, have guys coming in and out and you don't build around anybody. Yeah, I think 100%. It's, it's important that if you're going to build a company, a television show, a brand, there needs to be stars that are, that are part of that brand. And when people know, like you said, Undertaker, you know, and there's people that are associated, WWE, you think of that. When WCW around, there was the, there was the people that were, were icons for WCW. You know, ECW, you know, had your Sabus and your Dreamers and, and everybody on down. And as Don said, we need to have a focus on, on who those guys are that are part of it, and they need to be people that are out there. And people know when they see Impact Wrestling, they see, you know, wrestler this, wrestler this, wrestler this. There's a, there's a core group of guys that they know are are sure. what we were built on and around. Those are your company guys, absolutely. And, you, and I, th- you know, you have to have that, right? To to, to kind yeah, of build 100%, your hundred percent, yeah. Who do you see your your competition being? I mean, obviously WWE is in a world of its own, but who's on the map for you guys that you want to try and you know see if you can put up a fight against sort of thing i think again i mean i think that and you know it, it's sort of i think we're really in our own universe right now where we have to get our ship i think companies in the past have spent way too much time fighting with each other or or in a, a sort of a false competition with each other you know um i i think that you have to take care of your own business and you have to get your house right. And if we're, listen, if we, if, if you're at the point where you're, you're now having that competition with other companies, then that's probably going to be good for business. But I also think that the notion of kind of competing against other promotions in North America or elsewhere is a little bit dated thinking and mm-hmm. what we're kind of trying to get away from. I think there's something to be said for it. Competition, healthy competition is good, and that's completely different than fighting, right? Like, we've seen a lot of historically wrestling companies going at each other, raiding each other, trying to, I mean, spend more time worrying about what somebody else is doing instead of worrying about themselves. Like, I have competitors here in, in my business as far as for a developer, and we're competitive. We're competing to buy the same properties. We're looking to bring in the same tenants. We're doing the same things. But it doesn't mean we're competing. When one of my competitors has a, has a good development, I say, great, that's good for our industry. That's good for, that's good for the community. That's good for business. And I think it's the same. Like, certainly, we want to be competitive in the sense that we want to be the best. 
But we want to be the best by focusing on what we are and not by worrying about where somebody else is and how we can do something against them or, or competing directly with them. We want to do our own thing, as Don said, you know, work on our own product in our own universe. And we're competing not just against wrestling companies. We're competing against anybody out there who's in the, the media and the content business. You know, it's not just about a wrestling fan. It's about, it's about a viewer that's watching TV or consuming content on an app or a digital platform or anything else. We're competing for people to be vested in our product and want to follow Impact Wrestling and, you know, buy tickets to events, buy merchandise, be part of our, our OTT, like our, our global wrestling network app. We want to have people and focus on how we get people invested in us and not so worried about where we're doing in direct relation to competition or other wrestling companies. So the whole company now at this point has been moved up to, I'll say Toronto. I could be confused as far as the exact location, but it's been moved up into Canada now? Yeah, Toronto. Yeah, our head office is located, yeah, right in, right in Toronto. It's in a wonderful neighborhood called Liberty Village, which is a, which is a great trendy neighborhood and has a, has a great tech base. And that's, uh, that's our main office. We still maintain an office in, uh, in Manhattan, right? Like Anthem Sports and Entertainment has a Manhattan office. And we still have some production facilities in the U.S., um, you know, which is important if you're going to be an international base. But the core group of everything we do as far as for the brain trust is located in Toronto. Because the thing is, okay, you know, we're talking about Pop TV, which is what Impact is, is the station that it airs on. And, you know, um, it's not exactly NBC or ABC, but I think still stronger than ROH's TV, which is very fragmented on the Sinclair Network. You never know when it's going to be on. It's all syndicated. At least you guys know every I'm, I'm, every Thursday, you know, Impact is going to be on Pop TV. So you do have the television exposure there. My question is, are you still going to be doing all of your tapings in Canada as well? And are they still going to be multiple shows every three or four months? Or what's your idea on that? I think, and Scott can get into more of the details and the logistics of it, but I think that, um, Scott mentioned earlier, you know, we're in 120 com- countries. I, d- I don't think you can be in North America or an international brand and only do your tapings in, in, in one country, only in Canada. So I think it will be, uh, in my at least in my own view, first day on the job, um, important uh, for us to have that presence and have, have those shows uh, in multiple markets, and, and certainly not only in one country. But so, yeah, so- and I, I, I think there was sorry. I think there was a, a misconception where, when there was talk of of Impact becoming a Canadian based company. That was our office structure, as we talked about being located in Toronto. It's not about our events all being in Canada. We will still have you know both television events and live events in the U.S. And then also, as Don alluded to, it's important. Like I went to India for the first time earlier this year with Impact Wrestling. And the importance, as both of you have seen, when you go into a market, you can send a TV show there all you want, and it may do, it may do well, um, but going into that market and being physically in that market with your product and with your talent, that, that elevates things you know, exponentially. And we certainly saw, after going to India and producing television in India, we saw a substantial increase in uh, in not just ratings, but in consumer interaction in that uh, marketplace. So that's important if we're going to be global, is getting out there and not just filming in one location, and ideally long-term, not just filming in North America, but being able to take the product out to different markets around the world. 
Because I think that was one of the kind of the two-edged swords of what was going on with with uh, Impact in the past is that you always filmed. They always filmed in Orlando, which was like I said, pros. There's always people there. Cons. There are people that come in from the park and they don't really know what's going on. You know you're going to have the bodies, but not really get the reactions. You guys know how hard it is, as do I, to draw crowds these days. How are you going to do that outside of the world of Orlando? Because you're not in Orlando anymore. That's done. That relationship is finished, right? Uh, no, like we still have a wonderful relationship with Universal Studios. Oh, okay. Uh, and there, there won't be, I mean, I don't think we'll ever return to a model where we're going to be filming exclusively in Universal for all the reasons we talked about. But it is, it is a, it is a warm weather, winter climate. It's a, it, they're a great, they're a great company to work with and has been wonderful to us over a multi-year relationship. And as you said, you, there's always people there. And if you limit, if you're going there constantly, then it's not a destination. But if it becomes one stop out of multiple locations, well then, like we used to, when we would do events in Orlando, there'd be people at some of our big events, people would come from all over the, all over the world mm-hmm. to be there. Right. So, it's still going to probably be part of the process on some level, but it's not going to be the focal point. It's not going to be coming out of Universal Studios 52 weeks a year. Um, but certainly it can still play a role in our, in our production schedule. My, my, my personal goal is to have at least one show in the wrestling capital of the planet, Winnipeg, Manitoba, preferably not in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe, maybe we'll even get a, uh, a cameo by Chris Jericho standing in the back of the crowd. Have Candelo call me. We'll work out the deal. <laughs> get, uh, get, uh, get a business deal for you. Uh, Y2O water. <laughs> um, and, and what's your, uh, well, first of all, when, when is your official, I guess, starting date is now, but when is your official kind of debut television taping sort of thing? We're, uh, we'll be doing our first tapings uh, uh, January 10th. It'll be our first taping date. Where are those at? Uh, those are in Universal in Orlando. Okay, yeah. so that's kind of like the brand new uh, debut of, of the new guys. And will there be new talent involved at that point? Yeah, we're, we're literally, you know, at this point, day one on the job. And we're looking at, uh, at how, we, how we organize that. But certainly part of it has got to be there's different talent that are that are part of those uh, inaugural events otherwise what's changed right exactly well it has to be now of, of the guys that are there which are the ones that you really feel that you can get a lot more out of and build uh, build more around and was there some underrated guys that you think you can do more with i'm a, i mean i'm kind of i guess unique in the sense that up until six or eight weeks ago i wasn't that familiar I, I, there's guys here that we've got. I've, I've always been a huge fan of Alberto Del Rio. Um, I always thought he reminded me of Nick Bockwinkle, you know, mm-hmm. but a new Nick Bockwinkle. Like, I think just such a great worker. I, I like what Eli Drake has done. Um, there are just so many guys on this roster. Johnny Mundo is a, is a rock star to me, and I think that, um, you know, there, there's but up and down the, the roster, there's so much wrestling talent. I think, again, what Scott and I have to look at is our responsibility is being able to strap a rocket, being able to to give them an opportunity to take it to the next level. So I think we're not short on talent. I think that we can tighten up the presentation and the direction. Um, and how about for as far as, uh, you know, what, what kind of gloss of paint do you want to put on that makes you guys different? You want to try and do 
a little bit more of um, I hate saying attitude error because there's a lot of bad things in that. Do you want to use the women like they do in WWE? Do you want to make it different? Do you want to have? I mean, because I think the best part that TNA always had when it was hot was it it was different from WWE. It wasn't trying to be the same thing with the X division and some of those guys. Are you thinking of kind of of trying some different things as well on that end? I think we've established over the years that trying to be Vince Light, yes, and that's no knock on Vince, but WWE Light is a mistake, and and people people are critical when you try to do that. So I think if you look at what draws out there, I mean, there's indie shows that are drawing thousands of fans in some cases that are getting rave reviews. So I think, again, you get back to listening to your customers. What's the style that's getting over? If you look at what goes on in New Japan, I mean, it's an athletic style. This is, by the way, the style that the talent likes to work. So not trying to overproduce people, I think, not trying to um, give people who are maybe not even at the point where they're that comfortable in their own skin scripts to read from. You can't do that stuff, and you have to let the talent flourish and, and I think you have to be different. And, and I think Scott and I fully agree that we don't want to be, Vince does what he does and he does it great. We don't want to be that. We can't be that. You can't be, yeah. Exactly. When you said no offense to Vince, it's more of a compliment. You can't be WWE light because there's only one WWE. You guys have to be different as possible. Absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, it's important that we go out there. I think Don touched on a, on a very important point in the sense in that we, we, have, we have the ability to allow talent to, to grow and flourish. And there's going to be some, some giving them an opportunity to go out there and experiment and find what works and what doesn't for them and for them to grow. And having a, a situation in place where we give them that freedom when we don't have to overproduce them is going to help us find those differences because that's where true creativity comes from. A lot of it has to be talent-driven. And we can't handcuff talent to the point where everything is being generated by Don or myself or Sanjay and the creative team. It's got to be talent-driven where their passion and their energies and their creativity mm-hmm. is helping being a driving force for this product. I always used to say, I mean, it doesn't, you could have Vince McMahon, Paul Heyman, Pat Patterson, pick your Eddie Graham, pick the pantheon of the best bookers ever. That, that booking committee will never, in theory, come up with as good a thing for you as the talent than you will. Because I don't know about you, Chris. I think I do know. When I was a talent, I spent 100% of my time thinking of stuff to get Don Callis. Absolutely, over. of course. And, and the, the booker has got 40, 60, 80 talents to think of, and they don't know you like you know yourself. So what you have to do is you just have to let people do that which helps you do your job as a, as a booker or as a booking committee or a creative room. And then you have to direct it. You have to provide the platform, as, as Paul did in ECW for people. Focus on people's strengths, dial it back sometimes, and sometimes you strap a rocket and light the fuse. No, and you're right about that. I mean, the only people that know, the person that knows the most about your character is you. And all my best stuff, I had help, but the crux of it usually comes from, from my mind because that's where it has to come from. And you got to know who's the pros that, that you can give the, uh, that you can give the, the, the idea, you can give them the, the movement and give them the space to do what they want to do because you trust them. And so, sometimes I think we, we, we operate in a world where we're waiting for people to tell us what to do. I don't ever want, I don't want talent waiting for me to tell them what to do with their character. I want them to be coming to us and saying, hey, I got this great idea. And then you have an opportunity to have input. I mean, used to drive me crazy because when I went to ECW, Paul would just give me this platform. He'd go, go out there and get over. 
And I'd come back, I'd go, well, how about some notes? And he'd be like, nope, what you're doing is perfect. And he used to drive me nuts because I'm like, well, he's got, there's got to be something. Yeah. But, you know, I just felt a lot of freedom that way. And sometimes Paul would come and say, what if you did this? And it was like a little tweak and it made it better. Mm-hmm. And I think that, that that's why he was successful. And I think that's, that's why talent liked working for Paul. And I think that's the sort of environment we want to create. Do you guys have full control? I mean, you answered to Ed and, and to Len Asper, but do you, do you have full creative control for, for right now? Yeah, I mean, that's that's what we're told, Chris. <laughs> no, um, there's, uh, no there, there really isn't. There's one thing about about Ed and Len that uh, that I've seen from from my uh, experiences with them, you know, this year is uh, they're not guys that want to micromanage. They want to put a team together and have people in place, and then they want they want to you know be there at the top. They want to know what's going on. If they have concerns or issues, they want to know who to go to and speak to. But they've basically, and you used a great analogy, they've turned over the keys to the kingdom. Yeah. And we have an opportunity here to, to take the ball and run with it. And like John said, we're, we're in a position now to let talent have a position to be not just a small part of the process, but a big part of the process in driving what we do creatively. And I look at it as it's like we're, we're in many aspects, we're coaches. We're not, we're not going to sit there and tell Gretzky or anybody else what exactly to do. We're going to look at their skill sets, try to put together a system that allows them to succeed, and let them go out there and use their skills and their creativity for the good of the overall team. Well, the thing I like about it, too, and, and this is something when I, when I spoke with Len and, and why I wanted to, is they're not wrestling guys per se. That's not their field of expertise. They're great businessmen, great organizers. You guys are wrestling guys. You're talking about having Sanjay Dutt, and you're talking about having Jimmy Jacobs all kind of on the ipso facto booking committee, wherever, wherever we're calling it. I like that because that's one thing in, in, in WWE – Obviously, Vince is in charge, and he has his lieutenants, but there's a lot of guys, and I'm not going to be so callous, no pun intended, as to say, if you've never taken a bump, you don't know how to write for wrestling, because that's bullshit. But you do have a lot of guys in there who know the creative side and also know the in-ring part of it, and that's that's exciting to me. And I think the thing that's cool is, like, and, and you know, you, you find it out as you go along, but it's like I talked earlier. Understand what your strengths are, whether it's as a performer right. or as a businessman or as a creative person. You know, I go in there, and I, I mean, my thing is, like, I have, I have, and Scott and I have a creative vision for this company that, that's 18 months out. And so that's the sort of stuff. I mean, I'm bigger picture uh, on that stuff. I'm, I'm, I know that I'm less good at filling that segment box on the whiteboard for week 12. And, you know, I can look at what someone else puts into that box, and I can go, okay, that doesn't make sense for what our creative vision is going forward because we know where we want to be 12, 18 months out. Um, but that's why you have a team. You have people who are good at those other things, and it balances out. And, and it, it, to use Scott's football analogy, I mean, you can have a great quarterback, a great running back. If you don't have the offensive lineman open up the holes, uh, you're not going to get very far. Okay, last couple things. Um, are you planning on doing some, some shows on the road, uh, Don and, and Scott? Yeah, absolutely. There's uh, there's a plan being formulated. Like, look, we have no delusions about going out there and running a hundred events. But one thing about being not just you know broadly in the entertainment business, but being in the wrestling business, which we certainly are, is you need to get out there and engage fans face to face and one on one. So part of being a productive wrestling company is getting out there and running live events and making that interaction with people. Because, I mean, we've all had the opportunity as performers to see it. 
there's bonds that are that are formed much more personal bonds when you're in the building with that person when you get to shake that person's hand or pose for a picture and then that's how you create fans for life and getting our product out there to the fans is got to be a big part of rebuilding this place you know it's interesting to me because i'm almost thinking like the old school way of doing things like don when you would run thunder bay or you know regina or whatever it was with like ottawa with glenn kalka where you would have a uh opening show and then something would lead to another show a month later, and then you'd sell the place out a month after that. Is that something that you're kind of thinking about doing kind of like regular shows in, in, in smaller places, or do you want to just kind of go one show every six months the way that Vince does it? I think, to me, you need to build the brand and the excitement first. You need to have talent, um, and you need to have a buzz around your talent that, that people are going to want to see. And that's going to partly dictate in terms of what schedule – uh, you're going to run. I mean, I would love it if it was still the days when you could run, you know, every two weeks you could run a town stampede wrestling style. I don't think those days are ever coming back, but I think that the work we do creatively and the work that the talent does in partnership with that process is going to inform uh, how often and how we run those events. Chris, Chris, I think you touched on an important uh, point there too when you talked about going to Ottawa and using Glenn Kolka. That's something that that we as a company can do that a lot of times these days seems to get overlooked, and that's the localization, Mm -hmm. which is whether it's an individual town like Ottawa and a star like Glenn Kolka, or whether it's going and doing events in the U.K. and featuring some of the amazing, you know, talent that's that's out there in that scene, or whether it's it's developing and fostering Chinese talent to have a a Chinese uh, product, Chinese impact that's integrated, you know, Chinese talent and Chinese custom and history into that product. That's an opportunity that we have that respectfully, as you said, that's something WWE is never going to do. They have their product and good for them. And and that product is the same no matter where they go. We can be more fluid and we can customize things to areas, whether it's one town or whether it's an entire region. It seems almost like a smart way of doing it would be almost like we used to do it in Winnipeg, Don, where rather than saying, okay, we're coming to your town, we're doing, you know, uh, uh, New York and Chicago and Detroit, and it'd be more like building up to the one big show, like the winter heat, you know, taping in the international ballroom. But like, you know, you do your pop TV and build it to the one big show at the Roseland Ballroom in New York City and put all your focus on that rather than just saying, we're in, we're, you know, we're in Poughkeepsie and we're in Syracuse, we're in Ithaca, we're in New York and come see the show if you want because there's really no identity established for that i think one of the advantages of not being wwe with all due respect is that we are much more nimble you know the the old story about if you're if you're going to change direction of an aircraft carrier uh it's a lot different than changing the direction on a speedboat it's a much more complicated process we can be nimble we can be creative we can customize our approach by market as scott was saying and I think that that high degree of flexibility is going to be an advantage for us from a business perspective. How does this affect your uh, your job being the com- uh, color commentator for New Japan, Don? Um, well, it doesn't at all. In fact, when I uh, told uh, I told Gabe, uh, I, I had a meeting um, a while back uh, with Kenny and uh, and Gato, Rocky, and and um, and uh, the CEO, Mr. Sugabayashi. And to let them know that this was potentially happening. And the first thing that, that your, your friend Gato said to me was, you know, well, what about commentary? He was concerned because I think his view is that Kevin and I do a great job in NJPW World. And I said, well, I am a New Japan guy for as long as New Japan wants me in this position. 
um, and they've indicated they want me in a position long term. So um, from New Japan's perspective, um, they're happy, certainly, you know, uh, what's going to happen at the Tokyo Dome and my association with you and Kenny and the close relationship doesn't hurt any of that. I've been trying to add value beyond just my commentary in terms of, of on the creative side. And then from an impact side, I think um, Ed and Len's willingness to have me still be involved with New Japan, I think is a good example of, of the new openness that this company has to working with outside partners. So um, from my perspective, <coughs> people will still uh, get to hear the best color commentator in the world, and they're going to get to hear Winnipeg Mania in Tokyo, Japan, uh, when I call <laughs> when I call the two guys from Winnipeg Alpha versus Omega. So, like I said, man, Winnipeg's taking over. <laughs> Scott, um, is this uh, what's your final kind of statement? What's your mission statement for for uh, for taking over Impact? I think that this is an opportunity that me and Don have waited and, and worked towards for twenty plus years. And us and a great team, I think there's going to be a, a shift in how things are done here, and we are going to establish a great, creative, you know, open environment for talent, and we're going to find uh, and build an alternative product for wrestling fans out there to support and be proud of. One of the things that this company has struggled with historically is trust, trust with talent, trust with promotional partners, and trust with fans. And Don and I, Len and Ed, and the entire crew here are committed to building a company where everybody knows when we say something, we follow through and deliver. You want to add to that, Don? Yeah, no, I mean, I think it, it, it's like what we're talking about is a, is a culture shift. And, uh, and I think that ultimately, look, we work in many respects for the wrestling fans. We give our customers what they need and it's not just about the tail wagging the dog, as sometimes people say, but it's about challenging our, our customers with, with creativity and with, and with the athleticism, creativity of our talent, and, and putting stuff out there that, that shocks people. I mean, we talked about your thing with Omega. One of the reasons it's so cool is no one expected it could happen. Mm-hmm. Well, things like that still work in the wrestling business because it suspends disbelief, and that sort of thing draws money. And, uh, and I think we want to make sure we're doing that. How do you guys feel about being on the disco list? <laughs> well, well, I wonder, I wonder whether I'm going to be on or off the list because uh, he, I was thinking he might take me off because he might want a job or something like that. But uh, <laughs> I, I, I do need a kohai to uh, carry my bags and do my laundry. And so if we could just get a ball gag for his mouth so we wouldn't have to listen to him, he's probably well qualified <laughs> to do that sort of job. <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah, and it, it... Go ahead, Scott. If I if, if I if I wasn't if I wasn't on the list, that would mean that my thoughts uh, and my uh, my opinions aligned with discos, which would mean I would have to take a really long, hard look at myself in the mirror. So I want to be on that list for as long as I walk this earth. <laughs> you got a nickname too, though. He calls you Scott Tuggles Diamore. Oh, that's a Conan thing. <laughs> See, Disco's not creative enough to come up with anything of his own. He just nicks it from creative people like Conan. What does Tuggles say? You always pull up your pants or something. Uh, it's not, not, not quite a Chris, but it's uh, <laughs> something that a major league baseball player might do on occasion. Listen, Chris, to, to your point about our vision, what this company needs to take it to the next level is an invisible evil architect. <laughs> uh, we'll look for Bill Ding. Uh, if there's a Bill Ding in the building, I'm just laughing as to how many uh, how many of the old tires are going to be coming out of the woodwork, giving you guys a call. <laughs> you know, hey, it's Honky Tonk Man, Don. You remember me? I think I'd be perfect for your new company, fucking Money Mark. 
<laughs> well, guys, uh, congratulations. This is something that I've been hoping would happen for a long time, and it's very, very exciting. And once again, the, the more successful impact is, the better it is for the business and the better it is for the boys, and I think everybody would agree with that. And uh, I think you're the guys to, to have the best chance of making that happen, so congratulations. Thanks, man, right, thanks, and certainly Chris. thanks, uh, thanks for your help with this. And, and I'm off to call one of the bars here in Ontario to tell them Chris Jericho is on his way down so I don't have to wait in the line. <laughs> Thank you very much. All right, boys, I'll see you soon. Get to work. Take right, care. All right, thanks for the exclusive right there, Don Callis and Scott Demore, the uh, new executive vice presidents of Impact Wrestling, and they will start January 10th in Orlando, Florida. It'll be exciting to see what they bring to Impact, and of course, you can also hear Don Callis and Lance Storm every week on Kill in the Town on the Jericho Network with Paul Lazenby. He's kind of their third guy in that uh, whole uh, extravaganza they put on weekly. They're going to be doing live podcasts on the Chris Jericho Rock and Wrestling Rager at Sea next October. Thanks to all of you have already booked cabins they're going fast at chrisjerichocruise.com 150 bucks it holds your cabin everything is included in that price all the food all the activities all the live podcasts stand-up comedy shows meet and greets concerts signings and the entire ring of honor sea of honor tournament is all covered in the price of your cabin the only thing you got to pay for on the ship are drinks and gambling uh, if you don't do either one of those everything's for free and if you book your cabin by january 15th you'll get a picture of me with the list i'll put you on the list man and if you book one of the first 400 cabins uh by the time we air this there might not be any left because there's literally only a dozen left as, as i'm recording this right now you might still have a chance if you want to be a part of that exclusive q a go book your cabin now only a few spots left and you'll be able to come hang on the ship with all these incredible guests our hosts jim ross and jerry the king lawler the amazing socal val is the special cruise director uh giving you all your fun activities that you're going to be doing on, on the boat uh and then of course there's the legends the hall of famers mick foley ricky the dragon steamboat ray mysterio the keeping it 100 crew disco inferno conan shane helms beyond the darkness tim and dale will be scaring the pants off you with live paranormal uh storytelling brad williams ron funches jim brewer all three of the funniest men in america doing comedy jim's gonna be playing with his amazing rock and roll band the loud and rowdy busted open radio dave lagreca and larry dallas larry dallas needs a wife because i'm going to be marrying somebody on the cruise uh, you can get all the details for that at chris cruise.com actually if you're getting married there is a chance that i can marry you just enter your name we'll see what happens larry dallas is looking for a wife maybe you can uh, help him out there uh, and then rock and roll wise we got fozzy with the top 10 hit judas and hopefully another top 10 hit with painless phil campbell and the bastard son straight from motorhead right onto my ship king will be there the dives featuring evan stanley the dave spivak project uh Spiwi's new video for get out of my house is coming out soon the darlings of rock and roll the amazing cherry bombs uh the world's greatest female acdc cover band shoot to thrill blizzard of ozzy the world's best ozzy osbourne cover band and of course ring of honor is presenting sea of honor aboard the ship matches happening in the middle of the ocean on a ring on the on the deck of the ship and the winner of the sea of honor tournament gets a ring of honor world heavyweight championship shot in the future the biggest stars from ring of honor will be there the bullet club the Young Bucks, the villain Marty Skrull, the American Nightmare Cody, don't call him Rhodes, Cody's beautiful wife Brandy, the Briscoe Brothers, Dalton Castle, and more names to be announced in the coming weeks. Thank you so much, ChrisJerichoCruise.com. Come join us. Thank you for joining me today, and thanks for all the Talk is Jericho sponsors who support this show, allowing me to bring it to you uh, for, uh, for free twice a week. And coming up, 
next Wednesday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We got the return of Kerry King. Uh, Slayer's mastermind will be here to bring a little holiday cheer for you. Kerry is a hilarious guy, and he will give all of his opinions, uh, some of them uh, you might not even like. Kerry King returns right here on Talk is Jericho Wednesday. In the meantime and in between time, have a great weekend, and stay hard, stay hungry, peace, love, and hugs, and a big yeah!